Dominic, Dominic, Dominic. Highly contested. T3 on the track. The Texas high. Highly contested. It's getting wild. Highly contested. If you wanna talk the talk, then you better walk the walk. Get the facts, show the stats. Act like radios are off. The Texas high. Highly contested. It's getting wild. Highly contested. If you wanna talk the talk, then you better walk the walk. Get the facts, show the stats. Hello and welcome to Highly Contested. This podcast covers some of the hottest topics in the world of football and basketball, where our crew gives our highly contested takes on these topics and supports our takes with facts. I'm Andrew, and I'm here with George and Joe today. Joe, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good, man. Still can't find a PS5, though. <laughs> well, I hear, uh, I hear I got some hookups for you, Joe, so I'll keep you in the loop. Yep, most definitely. George, how you doing today? Are you looking for a PS5 or no? No, I'm not, I'm not looking for one right now, but uh, if Joe wants to pull a heist somewhere, I'll definitely help him out. Yeah, I feel it. Yeah, I don't. I, I wouldn't think you'd be looking for one either after the bets you're going to lose to me. You're going to lose some money, so. Uh, definitely not. You'd probably help me put a down payment on a PS5 for sure. You're helping me with my PS5. <laughs> Everybody's helping everybody with their PS5. No. <laughs> I know. All man. right. Some of today's featured topics include who do we believe will have the best career from the NBA 2020 draft class? We're going to talk about each trade that's happened so far in the NBA and give our takes. And will James Winston keep the New Orleans Saints on top of their division? Or will the Tampa Bay Buccaneers take advantage and seize the division? Let's dive headfirst into it here on Highly Contested. We're going to start with the NBA. The NBA draft is approaching fast. Now that it's here, our crew will identify who we think will be the best player from this draft class and why. So, George, who do you believe will have the best career from this draft class? Yeah, I think when we look, you know, maybe five years from now, I'm going to say, I think LaMelo Ball has the, the highest ceiling out of some of these players. He's a six seven point guard. He's got great size. He can handle the ball. He's electric. He's not afraid to shoot, so that could be good or bad. You know, he, he does take some uh, some Trey Young-like threes, but he's not as uh, consistent hitting them, so that is something he does need to work on, but... You know, he's been in the limelight his whole life. He's not afraid of the big moment. So wherever he lands, if he lands in a big market or wherever, he's going to feel comfortable. He's been playing out of the country, you know, since he's been in high school. So he doesn't have to be in the biggest market. He feels comfortable, small markets or big markets. Like I say, he's been in the limelight basically his whole life now. Um, you know, in the Australian League, he averaged 17 points per game seven and a half rebounds per game, seven assists per game. He's an elite and gifted passer that's taller than most point guards, so he'll be able to see over the defenses. He's great in the pick and roll, can finish with either hand, has great touch, and like I say, he's, he's a gifted passer, so he makes highlight level full court passes as long uh, as well as you know lobs when he's in the pick and roll. And he's also the youngest player in this draft. And he has the right characteristics to become a good defender. He's tall, lengthy. He he has that instinct to you know disrupt passing lanes, get steals, 
and he's a great rebounder with his size for the position. So, you know, I, I think LaMelo Ball is going to have a great future. You know, he can score, he can pass, he can rebound. You know, he might be a triple threat, you know, machine. Who knows? Uh, Joe, who do you think will have the brightest future out of this draft class? Let's see. So I, I just wanted to recap what I said a little bit ago on a previous podcast. Um, let's see. I, I said that uh, the Timberwolves would go LaMelo, um, Warriors would go Wiseman at two, and Hornets would go Anthony Edwards at three. But out of all three of those, I honestly think you know, either well, between Anthony Edwards or Wiseman. But if I had to choose one, I would think Anthony Edwards. He is an offensive threat. He's a shooter. He just needs that. He just needs the extra help with his um some offensive um like um like playing offensive style. But he is a great shooter. And if we're talking about the name from the 2020 NBA draft class from a few years from now, I believe that one of these two guys will be saying, Oh, he's from that class. But like I said, if I had to choose one, it'll be Anthony Edwards and he will be that guy with the most upside in the NBA. Honestly, none of the players in this draft really separate themselves as the undisputed leaning candidate to have the best in their career. In my opinion, <clears throat> and I think that we will have a better answer to this question when the draft is done, because I think that location matters as well. When you think about who's going to have the better career, like where, where each player ends up being at, I think that's going to have a big deal and a big impact on their careers. We saw, you know, and this is, you know, this is a football example, but we saw how, you know, Patrick Mahomes, he went to a great system and he is clearly, you know, miles ahead of Deshaun Watson. And especially, I mean, he's light years ahead of Mitchell Trubisky at this point. And so, you know, went to a great situation and, you know, look what became of him. So I think that when you get drafted, you can, you can easily become that great player if you get into the right situation. Here's the, here's my beef with, both Ball and Edwards is they aren't the best of shooters. They both uh, they both average actually really low percentages from the three. Lamelo actually averaged twenty five percent from three, and Anthony Edwards averaged twenty nine percent from three. Those are both really low percentages when you think about the fact that they're guards. Um, the league is evolving to where if you're a guard, you have to be able to shoot the three at least respectfully. And if you can't do that, then there's, there's very little place for you in the league. We saw, you know, we saw how teams are just not jumping on the idea of trading for Russell Westbrook because of the fact that he is not a great shooter. And he ha he's one of those guys, man. He's got all those intangibles that you would want in a competitor, but he's just not a shooter. And I think that's the biggest knock on him. So if I had to pick someone now to have the greatest career out of this draft class, it would be James Wiseman. But that is contingent on a few things. First, I feel like he cannot go first or second overall. 
The Timberwolves already have Carl Anthony Towns, and if they draft Wiseman, he would be a backup unless they trade Carl Anthony Towns. And I feel like being a backup would suppress his growth. The Warriors would be the more ideal move of the two, but his growth would also be suppressed there because of the different stars that are on that Golden State team. The upside of being drafted second would be you can compete right away and you have the brilliant mind of Steve Kerr to coach you. So he's going to be an amazing player doing like one or two things, kind of like, you know, kind of like one of the kind of like one of those players you make on 2K where they have like a specific role to play. He would be great for that on Golden State. But if he's going to be the best player out of this draft class, he needs to go to a team that has no center and doesn't have more than one star on the team to suppress his growth. Second, he needs to develop not only his skills, but his body as well. He's too skinny, in my opinion, to be a perennial all-star. However, he has the biggest upside out of the top three prospects. He averages 19.7 points per game, set uh, 10.7 rebounds per game, and 3.0 blocks per game. He demonstrates flashes of what a young Anthony Davis showed us before Anthony Davis, you know, got bigger and and you know just beefed his beefed himself up for the NBA. So if 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 Wiseman can do that and if he gets put in the right system, I believe he will have the best career out of the three. Yeah, um, I think Wiseman will have a nice career if he does go number two. I don't think his numbers will stand out just because he will be with the Warriors. So he'll be in a more, you know, role type of player versus a savior type of role. Um, Cause he he's excellent at running the court. Great in the pick and roll finishes. He's a good rim protector. Um, you know, he'd definitely compliment the Warriors and what they already have going on. Um, but like I said, he wouldn't be expected to, you know, be the savior of that franchise. He'd be more of a role player, you know, just run in transition uh, lob passes, protect the rim, and they, they already have great players there. So I think he'd have a probably, you know, if we look at records or playoff games, he might have more of those than the rest, but he's also going in an already good situation. 100%, which is why I said that he needs to not go second overall. If he, if, if he's going to be put in a situation where he can be the best player out of this draft class, I think he needs to not go second overall because I think that will, I think if he goes to the Warriors, it's going to limit him to that, you know, that sort of, like I said, that sort of 2K archetype where he's really good at like, you know, one or two things, but, you know, they, they don't ask him to do anything else. You know what I mean? Yeah. Joe, what are your thoughts? Yeah. So I, I was looking at, uh, James Wiseman right now. If I'm the Warriors, he, I think he would start right away just because he's tall and he's bigger. And he was bigger than our center we had this year. We had Marquise Chris, and he I think he was he's under seven foot. So just that alone of getting Wiseman at two would be a step up in the right direction for our starting center. But uh, I'm going to ask you a question, Drew. Where where do you see Wiseman as a perfect fit if you don't see him, if he shouldn't go one and two? Well, I think that he would be a perfect fit at two with Golden State. But I think that, like I was telling George, I think that he'd be a good fit there because that's like pretty much the piece that Golden State has 
been missing and, you know, has missed for even, you know, even all the years that they were, you know, champion, they were a championship caliber team. They, they didn't really have that big man that could, that was young and athletic that could run the floor like Wiseman could. Yeah. Um, I actually think, uh, you know, if we look at like fit, I think Anthony Edwards will actually go one with the Timberwolves just because they already have D'Lo and, you know, Cat. So I, I don't think LaMelo Ball would actually fit in unless, you know, he replaces D'Lo like Lonzo did back in L.A. But um, back on some things with uh, LaMelo. So he in the NBL in Australia, he was ranked number one in transition scoring. He was ranked third in isolation scoring. He was ranked fifth in points created by passing out of the pick and roll. And he was ranked ninth in pick and roll scoring. So, you know, he he can definitely do a lot. He's been basically a professional since high school. And, um, you know, I I know Drew brought up his three-point percentage. And, you know, that just comes from decision-making. He's not a bad shooter. He just takes some bad decisions like he'll take early shot clock threes in situations maybe he shouldn't or like I mentioned you know kind of with his Trey Young style of three-point shooting he'll try to shoot from the logo when maybe he could step up forward so I think that's going to be something to watch out as his you know young NBA career starts is will he make better decisions and will he be more consistent because he can't shoot the problem is he just takes some bad shots at sometimes so if he could fix, you know, his shot selection and, you know, awareness of the situation with the time on the clock and where they're at, because sometimes in late games, they'll be up and he'll see he'll still take a early three pointer in the shot clock when, you know, you got to dribble out that clock a little bit. So I think that's going to be some of his biggest things to work on is just decision making and a shot selection. What are your thoughts, Joe? Yeah, so um, let's just go for, um, for, for uh, like, let's just say that Anthony Edwards does go one and Wiseman does go two. Do you think that the Charlotte Hornets would take LaMelo Ball due to the fact that Michael Jordan owns the team and Jordan and LaMelo's dad has some, some type of, let's just say beef, even though we really don't see it now. Do you think... The Charlotte Hornets would take them at three. Yeah, I I don't think that would be a huge factor, you know, especially if you're Charlotte, you need you need some electricity, you know, to bring life into that organization. That's not an organization that people look at and be like, yeah, I want to go play there. But if you have someone as electric as a Lamelo Ball, then you know that can definitely gravitate some other players or pieces. And you know, I think you know Lamelo has is the best player in this draft. And I think he might fall just because of the situations. Like, like I said, with the Timberwolves, they, they just traded for D'Lo and um, obviously the Warriors have Curry and Thompson, so they don't need a LaMelo ball. Um, Hornets could use a point guard. So I think just fit wise, he would fit better there than the other two teams. But um, talent wise, I do think he is better than them, especially in a heavy point guard league. Uh, so this question is for both of you, uh, uh, you and Drew. Out of the all, out of the top three picks, who has the hardest choice to make? 
What do you mean by choice? Like who? Like the, the what I mean is, do they go for best player or do they go for team fit? Oh, you're talking the organizations. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the Timberwolves are in a a tough spot because, I mean. We got to think about, you know, they already got D'Lo, who's a point guard. He's pretty good. Then they got Cat, who's really good, too. And those are some of the top prospects in this draft. So they're in a tough decision where, you know, that that's why I kind of picked Anthony Edwards, because I think he would fit a little better there with D'Lo, uh, running both of those guards. Um, so I think they're in the toughest, you know, decision-making position. They can maybe even trade, you know, since they already got some of those and maybe get a solid veteran who can complement those two young stars that they already have and get future picks, you know, because this is like Drew kind of alluded to earlier. This is a a tough draft class to gauge, you know, and I think part of it is, you know, COVID happened. So we weren't really able to watch a lot of games. So this is a tough decision. And a lot of the picks after three or five are going to be, you know, shooting in a barrel or they're, they're going to be tough to pick. So they got a lot of choices there in uh, Minnesota. What are your thoughts, Andrew? I think that I, I kind of agree with you. I feel like the toughest decision is going to go to the number one overall pick. Um, I feel like Charlotte will pretty much be happy with whatever of the three falls to them, in my opinion. I mean, I, let's be real here. It doesn't matter who the Timberwolves or the Warriors choose, I think Charlotte's going to be happy with Mello, Wiseman, or Edwards. So I think they're going to, I mean, I think they're going to have the easiest decision probably. Maybe they, maybe they consider, um, uh, shoot, um, Obi Topin, um, the guy from Dayton. Maybe they consider him, but, I don't see. I mean, I don't see why it would be a like a super tough decision for Charlotte, in my opinion. I don't. I don't see it being a tough decision for the Warriors either. Yeah, I agree that Charlotte will have the easiest decision, and and like George said, the Timberwolves will have the hardest one. But I think the Warriors will also have a hard time too, because I know there's a lot of trade rumors of people wanted the second pick, people don't want the second pick. So they have a lot of like options on their tables. It just matters of which one they choose. Do they move away from the second pick and go later? Or do they get their guy that they want right now? Yeah, we'll just pretty much have to wait and see, won't we? Yeah, I mean, there, there might be a blockbuster trade going on. Who knows? Because, like you said, the Warriors are in a unique position where they got the number two pick, but, you know, they're not one of the worst teams in the NBA. I mean, they were on record, but that's because everyone was so hurt. But, you know, you bring Curry, Thompson, you still got Draymond Green. They're still going to be, you know, good. So they can add a piece that they've been missing for a while, like Andrew said, or they could trade away, you know, that number two pick that's going to be valuable in a draft class with a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, definitely. yeah, and I mean, they got, they got that pick. They got, Andrew Wiggins still that they can trade if they want to. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what type of player you, I mean, they, they had some, they had some young guns too. Uh, like, you know, Pascal stepped up and, um, 
uh, shoot um i can't remember they had this like uh they had this like shooter step up as well i can't remember his name right now but um i think his name was bowman i think kai kai bowman uh i think i was talking about a uh, pool pool, pool. Joe. there you go yeah. Um, they got, yeah. they got some, they got some players who, you know, stepped up when, you know, all their, all their studs were hurt. And so I think they have a lot of capability to trade. So you never know. I mean, maybe this, maybe this time on, maybe this time Thursday, we'll be, we'll be talking about some crazy blockbuster trade. We are going to transition to a different NBA topic. There has been multiple trades that have been made in the NBA. So each of our crew will discuss a specific trade and decide who won the trade and why. So, George, who do you believe won the Dennis Schroeder trade between the Lakers and the Thunder? I believe, Actually, I believe it's pronounced Dennis Schroeder. My fault. Yeah, uh, I think the Lakers won this trade. I like the move by the Lakers. Uh... I think they. I think the uh, he will be a solid asset for this team. He adds instant offense, becomes a solid third uh, scoring option for the Lakers, and a great bench piece as he was runner up six man of the year. Uh, Dennis he finished uh, runner up. Like I said, he's a great shot creator, can handle the ball. He was also very clutch last year. You know the Thunder were the most clutch team in the NBA, but Dennis Schroeder definitely helped in that you know, categories. So I could definitely see him, you know, coming off the bench, but at the end of the game, staying on the court, uh, he averaged 18.9 points per game, four assists per game, shot 47% from the field and 39% from three point. Um, and what's usually one constant that we do when we talk about LeBron's teams. And it's usually something that is, or goes along with who can handle the ball, initiate the offense when he goes to the bench. And Schroeder can definitely do that for the Lakers. Comes off the bench as six man of the year to lead that second unit. He's also good uh, catch and shoot type of player. So when he does play alongside LeBron, you know, maybe end of the games, he'll get easier looks and he'll actually be able to knock those down. Uh, I think the chemistry will be fine with him on the team because he's, played with some ball dominant players in OKC and he was still successful with them. So I think he'll be fine playing against or uh, with LeBron and Anthony Davis. And he's been coming off the bench his whole career. So if that is a role that they ask him to do in LA, he's not going to have a problem coming off the bench because that's what he's been doing his whole career. So I think there's a solid pickup for them, something that they need. Um, Yeah, I agree. I think this is a great pickup by the Lakers, honestly. Um they they kind of got cut they kind of got caught between a rock and a hard place, so to speak, last year in free agency when they were kind of waiting on Kawhi's decision. And uh obviously, you know, it worked out for them. I mean, they they won a championship still, but I mean this year, the this year the question mark is Rajon Rondo, and I don't think they're waiting on him to make a decision at this point. I think they're just gonna, you know, they're gonna go for it and, and see what they can get in free agency and in you know maybe a, maybe a trade or two here and there. Clearly, they made this you know clearly they made this Dennis Schroeder trade, and I think it's a great trade because you know you get a guy that like you said George you know he was very clutch in those moments 
you know, he's, you know, is he, is he playoff Rondo? No, he's not playoff Rondo, but I mean, he's better than regular season Rondo for sure. So, um, that's, you can at least, you know, you're at least guaranteed consistency in, in what you can expect out of him. You can, you know, he's going to give you that 18.9 points per game. He's going to, he's going to give you that, that playmaking ability. And he's not a bad, you know, for his size, he's very small guy, but he's not a bad defender either for his size. Yeah. I mean, you bring up playoff Rondo and, you know, me personally, I would love to have Rondo still on the team, but it seems like he's kind of looking for his last payday and yeah, the Lakers, they're not going to sit around and wait around. And then because Dennis Schroeder, he's a, he was high on the trade market. You know, a lot of teams were interested in him and, uh, I don't think he's a liability in the playoffs because we saw the Thunder take the Rockets to seven games. So he definitely fits in, you know, regular season and playoff. I think he's a great fit and uh, I think he'll have success there. Agreed. How about the Robert Covington trade, Joe? What can you tell us about the trade there? Yeah, so earlier this week, the Portland Trailblazers made a splash in the trade market by acquiring... Robert Covington from the Houston Rockets for Trevor Reza, a 2020 first-round pick and a 2021 first-round pick. In Houston, uh, Covington last season averaged 11.6 points and 8 rebounds in 33 minutes per game. Covington is a great defensive player, and he should uh, be a great addition to the Trailblazers. And plus, uh, Trevor Reza is getting old. I think he's 34 or 33. I don't I don't know for exact how his age is. And I know uh, Covington is in is 29. He's up there in age, but he's a little younger than Ariza. Um they averaged about the same stats. Ariza Ariza averaged in uh 11 games. I mean not 11 games, 21 games cuz he opted out for the uh for COVID. He averaged 11 points in 21 games and uh, two assists. And so, like I said, um, Covington is a way a better defensive player, and he should fit well with this uh, Trailblazers 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 starting role, and that'll be a great fit. Yeah, I think he's a a great piece to add there because, like you said, he does play defense, and that's something that the Blazers were lacking in was defense. You know, they got some pretty good offensive players there, but they needed some help on uh, defense. And Covington, he does both. He can shoot. He could play defense. So he's definitely a great pickup for uh, the Blazers. I agree. It's a huge pickup, especially because, I mean, the Blazers, they would put Gary Trent Jr. on LeBron sometimes. And it's like you're putting, you know, you're putting a, I mean, Gary Trent Jr. He's not a bad defender by any stretch, but it's sad that, you know, that's all you can do against LeBron as a, you know, as a, as a team. So I think this is a great pickup, you know, Robert Covington, he's a great defender. I think he's clearly bigger than Gary Trent Jr. And, I think he could do a better job guarding, you know, bigger players such as, you know, the Kawhis or the LeBrons of the league. So, yeah. Yeah, most definitely. And and just think, he'll be in that backcourt with Lillard and McCollum too. Yep. 
And then they got that front core with Mello. Hey, Joe. Well, if if uh, Covington starts, it'll be Mello off the bench, I think. Because the only reason why uh, Mello was starting is because Ariza did off op out. Mm. Well, uh, who do they have as the uh, who do they have as the uh, the three guard? I think I think it'll be Covington. Covington will be the three guard, and um, the power forward will probably be Miles My- Leonard, and the center is uh, what's his name? Uh, Nurkic. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Okay, so this uh, so the next trade we're talking about is the. Two trades that the Milwaukee Bucks did. So first, the first trade they did was they acquired Drew Holiday from the New Orleans Pelicans. And in return, the Pelicans got Eric Bledsoe, George Hill, and three future first-round picks. They also acquired Bogdan Bogdanovich from the Sacramento Kings and, you know, and uh, Justin James as well. For uh, Dante DiVincenzo, and I can't remember the other. Is it? It's not important. The point is, is the buck the Bucks got Bog, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich and Drew Holiday. So I'm going to talk about the I'm going to talk about the tr- the the trade for the with the Pelicans, and then I'm going to go into a little bit with the trade with the Kings first. Uh, after that, so the trade between the Pelicans and the Bucks, I think it benefited both teams. The Bucks are going to see the immediate effects in having Drew Holiday, which is exactly what they need since they are ready to win now. They also got, like I mentioned, Bogdan Bogdanovich, who averaged fifteen point one points per game last season. He's an all-around guy who doesn't, who's not going to be asked to do much, considering that there are three other players who's going to do more in Giannis. Middleton and Drew Holiday. I mean, even Brooke Lopez will do more on half the nights than Bogdanovich will do. So I definitely think it's a good move because when he, uh, when the ball gets, you know, when the ball goes his way, he's going to, he's going to know exactly what to do with it, but he's also going to not going to be asked to do too much. So I think he's going to step up and satisfy his role nicely. Now back to Drew Holiday. Drew, in my opinion, is better than Bledsoe. He does everything that Bledsoe does, but he just does it at a higher level. There's no other way around it. Drew's numbers are better, and his numbers go up when the lights are the brightest. His regular season stats in the 17-18 year when the Pelicans were in the playoffs were 19.0 points per game, 6.0 assists per game, and 4.5 rebounds per game. So that was, that was his regular season stats, 19, 6, and 4.5. That year during the postseason, his stats went up to 23.7 points per game, 6.3 assists per game, and 5.7 rebounds per game. And he did that while shutting down Dame and CJ in the playoffs on their way to sweeping the Blazers. This guy gives you leadership. He's one of the best two-way players in the league, and I bet he's ready to play with Giannis and try to win a ring with him now. I think that this was a great uh, a great win-now trade for the Bucks to acquire Drew Holiday. I think that Bogdanovich was also a very good pickup. And now to talk about what they gave up. The Bucks, I think, gave up a lot for both, 
for both Drew and Bogdanovich. You know, the big losses being the three first round picks. And in my opinion, Dante DiVincenzo was also a big loss. I thought DiVincenzo was becoming a very versatile and energetic player off the bench for the Bucks, and it will be a huge loss for them. If any of our viewers at home watched his college championship performance for, uh, for Villanova versus Michigan, you know exactly what this guy brings to the table. I don't know if you guys remember this, but we were actually at Buffalo Wild Wings watching this championship game. He had 31 points and made five of seven shots from three and two momentum-swinging blocks that just took the hearts out of the Michigan players. This guy has the intangibles and the swagger to be great, and the Sacramento Kings are getting a great young gun. As for the Pelicans, they're going to definitely enjoy those three first-round picks in the future, but Milwaukee needed a win now, and they made some good moves to get the job done. Maybe Budenholzer learned his lesson and won't hold Giannis to less than 40 minutes a game in a tight playoff game. Only time will tell, but I think that this is a good step in the right direction for the Bucks. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. They added some pieces that they definitely needed. They needed someone who can, at the guard position, you know, make some shots, play make a little. If uh, you know, when the defense is focused on Giannis, and also, like you mentioned, he's an elite defender. You know, he's probably one of the most underrated players in the NBA today. And then uh, I like the Brogdon move too. He's a good solid player that they're getting. Um, they did lose that player too in that trade, like you mentioned, who was playing solid. But uh, I like Brogdon. He's a good little piece that they added. So they, they're doing something to help Giannis, but uh, we'll see moving forward if how this works out because it's all about the playoffs since they've been losing early or underachieving in the playoffs. And now, you know, you're going to have Kyrie and Kevin Durant in the mix. So see how uh, these moves can help them in the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like you said, Drew, I think um, the first trade that the Bucks did with uh, Drew Holiday and um, all the first-round picks, it was, a pretty, it was a pretty good trade. It was kind of even, but the trade that they uh, the Bucks really won was their second one with um, Dante and uh, Brogdon. The Bucks won that one because Dante – he wasn't. He didn't really have a role on the Bucks. He was just kind of there. Like he only in his two seasons with the Bucks, he only averaged eight points. So they really didn't use him a lot. So he might have a better time with the Kings. But as of right now, the Bucks won that trade. Mm. So I'm gonna ask you guys a question then, real quick. So we got the Nets and the Bucks, in my opinion, as the two. Uh, the two teams in the East, I think, that are going to meet in the finals. That's at least in my opinion. If the Nets, if the Nets and the Bucks meet in the finals, who has who has more at stake? Because you know, the if the if the Nets lose, it'll be a big deal. If the Bucks lose, it'll be a big deal. So who has more at stake for uh, making it to the finals? George, go ahead and answer first. I, I'd say the Bucks, just because you know of their underperformances so far in the playoffs they've underachieved almost every time they've been there so and you know a lot of the talk going on right now is will Giannis resign um you know people are saying oh are these moves that they just made good enough to keep Giannis there so the Bucks definitely have more at stake because if they underachieve again then you know the 
the Giannis talks are going to increase on whether he stays or leaves. So that's what the Bucks have at stake, you know, is Giannis. Will he stay or go? While the Nets, I mean, if if they don't, if they lose in the Eastern Conference Finals, for example, I don't think they get rid of Kyrie and Kevin Durant. So I think they'll still be in a good spot. Um, you know, they'd be, you know, they're going to be the favorites to come out of the East, but if they were to make it to the conference finals and somehow lose there, I don't think it'd be, you know, people would make it a huge deal probably because maybe Kyrie talks, you know, cause people love to talk about Kyrie, how he's not a great fit or a great leader. So I definitely think that'll be something that people talk about if that were to happen, but definitely the bucks, I would say have more at stake with Giannis. And uh, I'll go opposite of George. I think the Nets have more at stake because they built a star-studded team and they couldn't uh, finish finish it out in the uh, Easter Conference Finals. And that, that says a lot. Like George says, there's lots of talks about Kyrie and all his moves and and then there'll be Kevin Durant. They'll, there'll be a whole bunch of talks saying that they couldn't get it done with this star team. Some and with their new coach Nash, so there'll be there'll be talks about the whole entire franchise that they couldn't get it done. And what do you guys say, George? Yeah, um, the only way I would personally say, as of like right now, it would be a bigger deal for the Nets is if they somehow are able to acquire James Harden because that's been a a conversation that's been going on right now. So if they obviously have those three headed monsters there and they underperform and they don't make it to the finals, then for sure that's going to be a big talk, you know, because you have James Harden who has never made it to the finals. um, And then obviously the Kyrie mix. So I think if they're able to add James Harden and they still underperform, then okay, that that'll probably be a big deal. Um, But yeah, go ahead, carry on. Oh no, I was was pretty much done. And then I saw your hand up. I think that, I think that the Nets' best chance of making it to the finals is right now. I think if they trade for Harden, it's going to be there's going to be you know a ton of decision making as far as you know how how they're going to make it work. Considering that you know you have James Harden, who's a very ball down. Is he is he gonna is he gonna limit himself for the sake of the other two players? One of one of them is going to be limited, and it can't be Kevin Durant because. I feel like if he comes back and he, you know, looks as good as he did before, then he's the best player on the team, in my opinion, hands down. Uh, James Harden is, you know, up there. He's, I think he's, it can be just as good. But then, like, you want, okay, well, is Kyrie going to take a back seat? I don't think so. So it's going to be really hard, in my opinion, to figure out what, how, how it happens because there's only one ball. They can't all have, they can't all have balls, you know? So, but to go back to the state, I think if I think I think that if with the teams as they are, I say the I, I say the Bucks have more to lose uh, or more at stake. But I I get what Joe is saying 100 percent because I I think it, I think it for sure would happen if the Nets are losing, the questions are going to come out. Is Nash the right person? Is Kevin Durant fine after the significant injury? Is Kyrie a good fit? You know, all those questions are going to be coming out and. You know, I think that for, and you know, will those questions be impactful? Who knows? They, you know, the Nets might not even care about that, all those questions, and they might come back the following year and, you know, 
try again for the finals. But I think that if the Bucks were to lose the finals, then that's it. I think Giannis is gone and the Bucks just gave up three first round picks to not be able to keep Giannis. Yeah, I agree. And then uh, you brought up Steve Nash and, uh, you know, they got a lot of new pieces there. And, you know, that, you know, could be someone to blame, but it can also be, you know, a type of excuse, if you will. You know, people might say, oh, well, it was, you know, Steve Nash's first year as a head coach ever, all these pieces that he had to manage, you know, and if they make it to the conference finals, you know, then they might be expected to be better the next year. You know, we've seen teams when you add a bunch of new pieces, it doesn't always work out that fa- that first year. You know, we saw with LeBron, D Wade and Chris Bosh, it didn't work out that first year, you know? So that's what I'm saying too. Like they're expected and they should be the favorites to come out of the East, but there's a lot of new pieces on that team that are going to be factors. Yeah. We'll just have to see. We're going to switch to the NFL now. The New Orleans Saints starting quarterback Drew Brees is scheduled to miss some time after multiple rib fractures and a possible punctured lung. While Brees is recovering, Jameis Winston will take over as the starting quarterback of the Saints. So, George, will Jameis Winston keep the New Orleans Saints on top of their division, or will the Tampa Bay Buccaneers take advantage and seize the division? Yeah, I think Winston is actually going to be helpful to the saints while drew Brees recovers uh the saints scored 10 points in the fourth quarter in that 27 to 13 victory not uh the new orleans they gained 142 yards on winston's six possessions in the second half averaging 4.6 yards per play um you know in those six possessions he was um six for 10 for 63 yards and we got to remember too, you know, he's he's one of only seven quarterbacks in NFL history to have 5000 plus passing yards in a single season. He's one of only seven quarterbacks in NFL history to have um that many yards in a season. So, and also we got to remember, you know, cuz a lot of his criticism comes from all the turnovers that he had back in Tampa Bay, but I think that's more of a product of that Bruce Arians offense where they wanted him to hold the ball longer and take those deep shots downfield. So in that offense with Bruce Arians, he was asked to, you know, take some risky decisions. And we saw a lot of them ended up in turnovers. And that's not going to be the uh, Sean Payton offense, which is more of a run game, quicker decision making and throwing shorter passes because as elite as Michael Thomas is, he wasn't making huge plays downfield. He just got a lot of receptions and he got a lot of those receptions on short intermediate passes and Camara. That's how they use him too. They, they throw to the running backs a lot and you know, they're not a lot of uh, deep shots downfield. There are a lot of quick early decision-making passes. So Sean Payne's been grooming him this whole season. And I think they're going to ask him, you know, or tell him you don't have to go out there and win us the game. You know, do your job and make the right decisions. Let the defense take over. We got, you know, skilled position players who can do things. You know, like I said, they got Michael Thomas, Kamara, Emmanuel Sanders out there. So he's not going to be asked to make a lot of those uh, risky decisions downfield. So I think he will be able to 
help the Saints team because they're in a good position. They're leading the division right now. So I definitely think that he'll be able to uh, hold on to that div- uh, that lead for now. Yeah, I would have to disagree with you, George. Um, to be honest, Winston probably has have learned a, lo- a, lo- a little bit from Drew Brees sitting behind him. But I still think uh, he will hurt the team than, uh, than help him. So I believe the Saints should go with Taysom Hill at the starting QB. He's been in the, he's been with the Saints a, a longer than the, longer than Winston. He knows the offense a little bit better, and obviously they have special plays for him. But like you said, I do agree with you. The Saints system is a lot different than the Buccaneer system, so he might have success, but. If they want to keep winning, I believe they should go with uh, Taysom Hill, not Jameis Winston. Yeah, I mean, real quick uh, before you go, Drew. I mean, we saw them last year with uh, Teddy Bridgewater, who was new to that team too last year. Um, they When Drew Brees got hurt, they threw in Teddy instead of uh, Taysom Hill. I mean, they're, they're still going to use Taysom Hill, but... I don't think Taysom Hill is going to be that full-time starting quarterback for him. What are your thoughts, Andrew? So, sounds like Drew Brees will be out for at least four weeks. And if that's true, this is all contingent on Tam Brady's on Tom, blah, 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 Tampa Bay's next two weeks. That's my word of the day right now. Contingent. All right, they play. So the Buccaneers play the Rams and the Chiefs. If they lose one of those two games, I would say that Jameis can get the job done enough for Brees to come back and win out the division. However, if they win both those games versus the Rams and the Chiefs, they can run the table the rest of the season. And if that's the case, the Saints can kiss their division lead goodbye. Their next four games are their losable games. They play the Falcons twice. And the Falcons, they know Jameis really well and have been playing him twice every year for the last five years. Then they play the Broncos and the Eagles, who can definitely make those games competitive, in my opinion. Then, even if Drew Brees comes back after those four games, that's you know that's a big if, he's got to play the Kansas City Chiefs, who don't want the Steelers to seize the first round by. So they're gonna come out, you know, they're gonna come out guns blazing for the rest of the games in the school year. The Saints are only up by half a game on the Buccaneers. If they lose two or three games the Buccaneers can take the division which is exactly what the Saints did not want to answer the question if the Buccaneers lose one or both of the games to the Rams or Chiefs then the Saints are fine but if they win both games the Saints are in trouble yeah Drew I'm gonna disagree with uh that sketch that upcoming schedule I think these are very winnable games for the Saints the Falcons aren't very good this year Broncos aren't very good the Eagles are definitely not very good even though they might even win their division. You know, the Chiefs are obviously going to be their biggest challenge coming out, but those are all winnable games for the Saints. Yeah, I disagree. The Falcons, the Falcons are deceptively bad, in my opinion. They, their record does not show actually how good of a football team they actually are. They're, 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 you know, the record right now is three and five. A lot of those losses could have easily been wins. And, in my opinion, this is a divisional opponent. They know exactly what they're they know exactly what they're going to get from Jameis Winston as an opposing quarterback. Uh, 
So I think those are going to be two tough games for the Saints. And the Broncos, Eagles, I mean, you can make a fair argument for those, but they, but either of those teams can make it at least competitive. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking they'll lose one, if not two of those games. Yeah, I'm not too sure about that. And we've seen, like I brought up, you know, Teddy Bridger, uh, Bridgewater last year, the Saints, you know, they rely a little more on their defense when they put in Teddy uh, Bridgewater. They rush the quarterback more. They relied heavier on their defense. So I think we're going to see some of the same thing. You know, uh, Payne, he's a great coach, and he's going to make the right adjustments. They're not going to ask Winston to go out there and make poor decisions. Well, we'll see. That's exactly what Winston has been his first five years in the league. So a poor decision maker. So um, we'll just have to see. We're going to move to a different NFL topic with the Los Angeles Rams victory over the Seattle Seahawks and the Arizona Cardinals victory over the Buffalo Bills. The Cardinals are now in the lead of the NFC West division, beating the Seahawks only by head to head record. So, George, which are you buying? Cardinals as contenders or Seahawks as pretenders? Yeah, so I'm probably going to be in disagreement with you two because I know you two have been uh, very heavy on Russell Wilson and the Seahawks this season, and I've been like the sole one that has been against them in the MVP race talks that we've had. And I mean, I love me some Russell Wilson, but I'm going to go ahead and say the Seahawks are more of pretenders. Uh, they got a terrible defense that's putting Wilson in positions where he's having to do too much to keep his team in the games by himself. Uh, Wilson has thrown seven interceptions in the last four weeks. And one of those games was against the Cardinals where he threw three interceptions. So through the first half of the season, the 2020 Seattle Seahawks have the worst pass defense. Um the third to last in points allowed per game at 30.4. And the secondary has been especially uh, a big problem for them, giving up 362.1 passing yards per game. Uh, the Seahawks are now well on pace to shatter the full season record for worst pass defense that was held by the 2011 Packers. So this is a historically bad defense. Um, you know, they acquired Jamal Adams and, he has only deflected one pass this season. He has the 78th worst coverage grade out of the 92 safeties, according to Pro Football Focus. He's allowed a passer rating of 142.6 as the nearest defender on coverage in that play. And the rest of that secondary, they're not doing much better. They're all pretty bad. So, you know, we don't see much teams with a poor defense being able to truly contend so you know for that poor defense i'm just gonna have to say that the seattle seahawks are more of pretenders yeah george i'm gonna have to disagree with you that with that i say the cardinals are definitely showing that they are contenders in the nfl they have been on the come up for some time and with that trade that brought deandre hopkins that was pretty much the last piece of the puzzle. Yes, there could be improvements at some of the positions, but as of right now, they are winning games, and that's why they're the number one in, in their division, even though there is a three-way tie with records, but they're still sitting at number one because they played two division games and they won them both. So 
they're winning games, getting touchdowns, and DeAndre Hopkins is a is all is DeAndre Hopkins, and Kyler Murray is looking like a really really good qu- quarterback. So before I make my point, George, I just want to ask you right now. So you're pretty much saying that Russell Wilson is putting the team on his back, right? Um, he's forced to do more than he's supposed to be doing. Okay, so answer the question. Is he putting the team on his back or not? He's putting them on his back, but they're not winning these games. Ah, so maybe he should be ahead in the MVP race then since he's the most valuable player to his team, correct? You can't be the most valuable when you're losing a lot of these games. <laughs> ah, they're not losing a lot of games. They're six and three. Yeah, and he's also throwing a lot more interceptions than he's normally used to. It's okay, George. Thanks for proving my point. But yeah, back to what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm buying more that the Seahawks are actually pretenders. So I'm going to agree with you, George. But that isn't taking away from the fact that the Cardinals are playing every game to win this division. Joe, you mentioned the Cardinals are 2-0 versus their tough division this year. They have a good team, and we haven't really seen any major weaknesses in the team to this point. But back to Seattle. This is just not a complete football team. Their defense ranks dead last in opponent yards per game at 448.3. They're behind the next closest team to them by over 30 yards a game. That team being the Jaguars at 415.6 opponent yards per game. They are just, you know, like George said, they're allowing a lot of points per game to the opposing team. The only teams uh, beating them in that category are the Dallas Cowboys, who are on pace to be historically bad for points per game. And the Jacksonville Jaguars, don't even get me started with that team. All right. But we're just going to we're just going to talk about the Seahawks. Let, let's go ahead and talk about their offensive line now. So we talked about we kind of talked about the defense, talk about the O-line. The Seattle Seahawks allowed the fourth most sacks on the quarterback. The only teams worse than them are the Eagles, the Bengals, and the New York Giants. You want to talk about their running backs and how decimated they've been? They have no Chris Carson, no Carlos Hyde, no Rashad Penny. DJ Dallas has been a disappointment. So they have to go and sign Alex Collins, who hasn't played in a game since 2018, and Collins is now their starting running back. This defense is a bottom five defense, and the only reason they have a winning record is because of Russell Wilson, who has who had more rushing yards than Alex Collins on Sunday, by the way. This team has too many holes that Russell Wilson cannot make up on his own. This is unfortunately why they will not go far in the playoffs this season, and that's why I'm saying that the Seahawks are more pretenders than I think the Cardinals are contenders. Yeah, I mean... I think in a weird way, we kind of agreed and disagreed all at the same time, because I mean, I would say, you know, by me saying the Seahawks are more pretenders and that kind of alludes to the Cardinals being contenders, you know, unless you're going to pick the Rams over them, but I'm not doing that because they are in that three-way tie. So, I mean, I, I wasn't trying to take shots at the Cardinals. I think they're really good. And, you know, you bring in a guy like DeAndre Hopkins and you're going to speed up the process of a Kyle Murray. Yeah, I wouldn't sleep on the Rams either because, I mean, you know, clearly they showed with their defeat against the Seahawks, clearly they showed that they're not backing down from this division either. So, you know, I wouldn't sleep on them either. It's going to be some good games between the Cardinals and the Seah- and the Rams, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. I mean, 
this could arguably be one of the better divisions in the football in the NFL. Right, because you had the the one team that represented the NFC in the Super Bowl is, you know, in last place in this division only because they're just decimated by injuries. Yep. All right. Speaking of Cardinals and Seahawks, it's time for Joe's Thursday Night Football Pick'em. Joe, who you got between these two? I'm going to have to stick with the Cardinals, man. They're riding a hot streak right now, and they're going to keep at it. They're going to... They're gonna put a pound in on the Seahawks on the Seahawks team. Oh, so you think it's gonna be a blowout? Uh, an average game, not not a too big of a blowout. The Seahawks will score, but the Cardinals are definitely gonna win this. Do you know who's favored right now, Joe, in that matchup? Probably the Seahawks. I wouldn't doubt it. Let's see. The Seahawks are favored. Oh yes. Th- yeah, the Seahawks are favored. The over under is uh, three points. Oh, I'm, I guess I'm taking the Cardinals. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I think this is going to be a good matchup. Another close one. What do you What do you think, George? Cardinals or Seahawks? Yeah, I'm definitely going to go uh, probably Cardinals with that one, but I do think it is going to be another close game like the uh, the first one was. Yeah, that was a really good game. Well, that's all the time we have for today, everyone. Thank you for joining us here on Highly Contested. We will post a podcast every Monday. Wednesday and Friday. So be sure to stay tuned, keep with it, and be prepared to be highly contested. Have a good one. Highly contested. Highly contested. Highly contested. Highly contested. Highly contested. Highly contested. Highly contested.